Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So when I was in high school, I worked at a car wash and I went from wiping down cars to being in sales to then an assistant manager. And when I first uh, went back to college, I started working there again in sales. Now, I tell you all that to say that if you fast forward a little bit, I deployed in 2007, came home in 2008 to a bride who waited for me for that year that I was gone. And as you can remember from 2007, I left, everything was great. I came home in 2008 and what happened to the economy? It was gone and I had no idea, like no idea. So I came home and decided to venture out and start a family in 2008. And it was just a scary time because at the time I was, I was then doing electrical work. I was still in school figuring that kind of stuff out, but I was an electrician at the time. And right before we bought the house, I was trying to figure out how am I going to be able to afford this because construction work is dried up. I'm getting about 30 hours a week. What does this look like? You know, how is this going to work out? And then I got a call from the old owners of the car wash, excuse me, the owners of the car wash saying, hey, would you be interested in being a general manager for us? I said, well, what's the pay, right? Isn't that what you ask? And it was salaried position making more than I would have made at 50 hours a week as an electrician. It doesn't take very, it doesn't take much thought to think through what that looks like, right? I was like, well, of course, let me think about it. Of course I took the job. Salary during 2008, so I jumped in and accepted the job. But here's the deal. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It was fine for a little while, while I was going through college, finishing up that, but I knew God had called me into ministry, and I didn't want to be in business, it was fine to provide for my family. It was fine to give me the uh, fine for the flexibility of scheduling to finish up my degree and all that. I didn't have to drive long hours like everybody else does in Northern Virginia, right? Everybody drives about an hour and a half to get to DC. I drove 15 minutes. I mean, it was a great setup, but I didn't want to be in business. I mean, I found great purpose in the military. I found great purpose giving my life to the Lord for ministry. And while I enjoy cars, cleaning them just did not fulfill that purpose, that longing inside of my life. And I ended up working there for five and a half years. And during that time where I knew God had called me to, to pastoral ministry, I honestly thought that God just forgot about me. It made no sense that I was in business. It made no sense that I was working like this. I was supposed to be in vocational ministry. I needed to become a youth pastor first, get that experience, then work my way up to be, uh, becoming a senior pastor. Like That was the trajectory. That's what people said you were supposed to do. And what in the world would I learn in business anyways? What does leading employees have to do with ministry? What does managing buzz- budgets Revenue and expenses, dealing with disgruntled customers. 
have to do with the church? What does having to be the top leader of an organization and still answer to owners who don't really know what they're doing, but they're actually in charge? I mean, I'll never experience anything like that in the church, right? Surely the church won't be like that. I mean, I thought I was learning nothing. I said, Lord, why am I leading a business in the worst time in our country since I've been alive? Not since many of you, but for me, 2008. I was like, I'd never seen anything like this. The church never, never struggles financially. The church never deals with, de- see, like I had no idea what I was doing, right? You, you catch that? Like I had no idea about any of this. And I said, none of this will really apply to the church. I honestly believed that God had no idea what he was doing. I said, God can't use any of these future plans. What I'm doing now has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to do. So I did what anybody would do. I complained a lot. What do we call complaining to the Lord? Prayer, right? I prayed. Like, we'll make it spiritual. I prayed. I complained all the time. And I kept looking for ways out. From being a Capitol Police officer... Super glad that one didn't work out, right? To being a police officer in D.C., I thought that would be the coolest job ever, like be an inside Metro D.C., I thought that'd be awesome. To looking at medical management, to being a chaplain, like the whole time for those five and a half years, I just dismissed that the Lord knew what he was doing, and I just wanted to find a way out to do what I'm actually supposed to be. I thought God had forgotten about me. I thought that I was missing something. Have you ever been in that kind of position, thinking that God has left you, thinking that God has forgotten about you? Have you ever looked around your life and wondered, how in the world is God going to use this mess I'm in? Maybe you created the mess. Maybe someone else created the mess. But have you ever wondered, like, Lord, how are you actually going to use this? Maybe the family unit you were born in is just a mess. And you look around at the opportunities everybody else has and you say, well, God, how come I'm not like them? What did I do to miss out on these things? Why is my situation so hard? Perhaps you just wonder, can God even use you? And does he want to? But luckily for us today, we're going to see Paul speak to people who are in messy situations, uncomfortable situations, who people who find themselves in less than ideal situations and want to know, what do I do next? Where do I go forward? How do I move forward? We're continuing in our study on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and sandwiched in between Paul's advice about marriage. He lays down this principle we briefly went over last week about this principle, in fact, this rule for all the churches. Now, he lays this rule down for people who are married, right? People are coming to Christ. They have unbelieving spouses. They're trying to figure this thing out. And so he laid this rule down, but he applies it to more than just marriage because he says, if you're coming to Christ, if you want to be, if you want to understand how to be used by God, like this is what it looks like. This is what you need to do. He's saying, don't use your faith to blow up your situation. He says, in fact, do something different. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. He says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule 
for all the churches. You see, with their new faith, they, they learn, and Paul's told them, you are a new person. You're born again. You have a new king, a new purpose, a new life. And so they're all right, what do I do now? Do I just need to divorce my spouse because they're a mess? Do we need to go overtake Rome because they're not really the king? Like, what does this look like, Paul? What should we do now? And Paul says, no, 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 no. Just stay where you're at. Just stay where you're at. Don't use your faith to blow everything. Don't blow up everything around you. Don't try to do everything at once. Just stay where you're at. And he continues. He says, verse 18, for instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. I have no idea how they would do that. And like the scholars who started diving into it, I just said, unnecessary. We don't need to go into that. We're going to move on, okay? And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. So back then, because of the, the Greek culture, they would exercise naked. They would bathe in public uh, bathing houses naked. Everybody saw this identifier of the circumcision versus the uncircumcised. And so evidently, some of the Jewish people were trying to fit in, wanted to be like everybody else, and said, well, this whole circum maybe I need to try to reverse this to fit in. Maybe in order for people to like me, for people to accept me, maybe I need to fit in. And then you had the Greeks who were now becoming Christians and they were around a lot of Jewish people said, hey, well, maybe I need to cut some things off to fit in. And Paul's like, no, no, no you don't have to do any of that. Just stay where you're at. Don't try to reverse those things. Don't let the negative social pressure try to change your situation. He says for verse 19, verse 19, he says, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. So he says your social status, your cultural status, what color you are, all those other things, he said that doesn't matter once you're in Christ. You cannot change what you cannot change. But what's important now is just keeping God's commands. And this is a very provocative statement, what Paul's saying, keep God's command, because circumcision was a command from God. It was a public yet private display of the covenant God made with Israel. And so Paul's saying there's a new way to keep God's commands. And it's not about circumcision. It's something different. Now the commands of Christ are what you need to focus on. So he's saying, don't feel pressured to change your cultural and your social status because in Christ, we have, you have all the status you need. When you become a Christian, your identity is now found in Jesus Christ. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. You cannot get a better job title than that. You are a child of God who's been redeemed and set free. And but why this is so helpful, he's saying, listen, your identity's now in Christ, that other stuff doesn't matter, but why this is so helpful, he says the important thing is to keep God's commands. And what this tells us is if you find yourself in a sinful situation, do you stay where you're at? No. So remember, Corinthians was filled with sex workers and all that kind of stuff we've been talking about, it seems like forever, doesn't it? Right? Not this week. We're going to move past that. And so he says, look, if you find yourself in a sinful situation, you need to get out of that. 
Don't stay where you are if you're in that. He said you need to move out of that, but that other stuff you're worried about doesn't matter. Just remain where you are. So for instance, if you find yourself in a sinful relationship, move towards holiness. Move towards making that relationship right. Don't blow everything up. Take the appropriate steps to make it right. Keep God's commands. And he repeats himself, verse 20. He says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Because there are some things in our lives that we just can't change. Circumcision or not circumcised. Well, being circumcised is probably one of them, right? He says, so don't worry about it. If you can't change it, don't dwell on it. And let's be honest, church, how much, how much do we worry about things we can't change? How often do we think about things that have no bearing on the immediate future? We're just stuck in the past, but not looking at God's preferred future for you. You're dwelling on things that are done, that can't be undone. So Paul says, move forward. Move forward. Now, does this mean for you and me, does, that, does this mean we don't do anything if we're staying in the situation? We're at? No, because this whole idea of keeping God's commands is that while we're in this situation, instead of blowing everything up around us, we develop that relationship with Jesus Christ that we need to have. In that staying where you are, this is where you pray. This is where you read God's word. This is where you grow in your relationship with him. Because then if you train yourself and you're able to start listening to him, he'll direct your steps. He'll direct your path. Because for them, they were not following Jesus. They were not following God. They were doing whatever whimsical thing that came up. And I said, no, 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 stay where you're at. Calm down. Hear from God, grow in God, and allow him to work through you in that. Verse 21, he continues. He says, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you are free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. Now, slavery back then wasn't what we think of in American history of slavery. But either way, I think we can agree, owning another human being is not a good thing. Right? It's just something we, we need to move forward. And remember, slavery to them is what the tractor is to us today, or machines to us today. They couldn't think of any other way to live. It was just a normal part of life. But remember, the gospel is what brought, uh, brought about the change in, in, in slavery, what brought about not owning people and realizing that Christ is really our owner. So we can kind of, we don't get it, uh, we don't have to get stuck and condemn people who lived 2,000 years ago. It was different. We just kind of understand that's how the culture was. He's speaking of something important and we kind of look through it. But how we can apply this is Paul saying, hey, don't worry about your career. Don't worry about the job you're in. Don't worry about your title. And that is not an easy thing to do because what's the first question people ask you? Hey, we do for a living. Right, in our country, our identity is found in our career. And I remember, I used to hate when people asked me what I did when I was the manager of the car wash. I hated it. They'd be like, so what do you do? I was like, I manage the car wash. They looked down, they're like, oh man, he made bad life choices. And I was like, I, I mean, I really did. You're right. Like, you're not wrong at all. Like, not at all. I, I did. And they're like, oh, do you own it? 
I'm like, no, I didn't have five and a half million dollars laying around to purchase a car wash. Like, that's not how that works. And so they looked down again. They just felt bad for me that that's what I did. That's who I was. But come on, don't people condemn us for our positions and our titles and our jobs? Aren't we looked down upon? And aren't some people so proud because of what they have in their title? But in Christ, it means what? Nothing. You cannot get any higher than being a child of God. It is impossible. In Christ, we are as high as we're going to get. That other stuff doesn't matter. So now it's not about chasing careers. That's not about chasing titles. It's about being faithful to the one who created us and called us. Listen, all of us are going to face insecurities. All of us are going to face people looking down on us. But in Christ, we have to settle. He has given us everything we need. We are loved, we are accepted, and he has called us for his purposes. So in Christ, everything we do is now God's. Everything is. But Paul is very practical. He's saying, hey, but if you get a chance to take being free, what do you need to do? Yeah, take it. So stay where you are. Don't blow everything up. But hey, if you can get a promotion, if you can move on, guess what you need to do? Go ahead and take it. And he gets the theological form. He says, listen, if you were a slave and now you know Christ, you're free in Christ. He's paid for you. He set you free. He's redeemed you. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, if you're a free person and you've come to Christ, you're now a slave because he owns you. In other words, whether you're free or whether you're a slave, you're both now owned by whom? God, man, I tell you what, the faith of a child, right? That's right, we're owned by God. That's what's important. And so the status stuff, looking down on people, listen, in Christ is none of that. We need to get rid of that church. In Christ is what matters. We are equal in Jesus Christ. So verse 24, he says, each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. We don't have to cave into social pressures, cultural pressures, because Jesus is the one who saved us, who redeemed us. All of life is in God's hands. So we serve him no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether it's a preacher, whether it's in the military, whether it's a car wash manager, whether it's a teacher, it doesn't matter. In Christ, being faithful to him is what matters, not what your friends think. That's not easy to really live out, is it? And I cannot help that Paul is drawing from the plethora of Old Testament stories. If you don't read it, you should check it out. It's a really good, there's some really good stuff in the, in the book, in the Bible. Because what you find is God is very, very famous for using the nobodies of the world to do something. Do you remember David? David was the grilled cheese man. He was just a shepherd delivering cheese and bread to his brothers. When God placed him in front of Goliath, David wasn't in special forces training. Listen, he was a Grubhub driver. You laugh. He was. He was delivering food and got put in front of Goliath and said, I got this. All the warriors were like, no, it's too scary. David didn't know any better. He just said, God's got it. We're going to do this. Moses killed a man who was hiding in the, in, being a shepherd for 40 years. Before God called him to go back, Noah had never seen rain before. God's like, I need you to build a ship. He's like, what's that? He's like, don't worry, I got you. 
God is famous for using the nobodies of the world. And I think the story that brings this together, the story I believe Paul is like drawing from to get this advice is found in the life of Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph was a son of who? Look, y'all need to start going to Sunday school. Jacob, right? Whose name was changed to what? All right, Sunday school teachers, come on, we got to get this. Israel, right, okay. So Joseph was loved by, I was looking at my notes, right? Did you catch that? I didn't know it. I was just making sure I got it right. Sometimes I'm to speak. Okay. But Joseph was giving uh, the coat of many what? Colors. What does that look like? We have no idea, right? He was wearing a hoodie. That's what I picture. Joseph got this great hoodie jacket from his father. He was the youngest or second youngest. His father loved him, gave his son this great Jacket. So that's who Joseph is. Joseph's his father's favorite. He can interpret dreams. And Joseph, being one of the youngest, does what any younger brother does antagonizes his older brothers. That's what they do. How, you say, Brian, how do you know? I'm an older brother. I wanted to just, never mind, we'll move on. One time, Joseph goes up to his brothers because Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams. And he decides to antagonize his brothers by telling them, Hey, I had this dream that one day y'all are bound down to me. How do you think they took that? Yeah, they didn't like it. He's getting the nicer things. He's boasting about his dreams and now telling his older brothers, I'm going to rule over you. So they did. They did what most other brothers dream of doing. They got rid of him. They sold Joseph into slavery. You're like, Brian, that's horrible. I know, but they wanted to kill him. Killing them, selling them into slavery. Slavery's the better option, right? The brothers sold him into slavery, took his great coat, dipped it in blood, went home to dad and was like, I guess a wild animal got him, dad. We don't really know what happened. But they got rid of their brother. The story tells us that Joseph was then purchased by an Egyptian officer. What was his name? Potiphar, right, and here's what it says. While Joseph being sold into slavery, here's what it tells us. It says the Lord was with Joseph. Does that, he's in slavery, but the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served the home of his Egyptian master. Now the Lord being with Joseph doesn't seem to make any sense to us. If the Lord was with Joseph, why is he in slavery? This is unjust. This isn't fair. So why is God there? Why isn't God pulling them out saying, hey, I don't want you here. This isn't fair. You don't deserve this. Rather, God is with him in the midst of his unfairness, helping him succeed as a slave because God had a plan. A strange plan, I'm sure, for Joseph, who's in the middle of all this. Family rejecting him, now owned by somebody else. But he continued being faithful, Joseph did. And he was put in charge of the entire household. He became the head slave. And so God blessed Joseph by putting him in charge, developing these skills, but also blessed Potiphar, who owned Joseph, because Joseph was with him. It's like, hold on, that guy's getting blessed, but he owned Joseph. I know, but that's what the story tells us. And then one day, Potiphar's wife decided she had enough of just watching Joseph. She hit on him a whole bunch. And this time she wanted to take Joseph to bed, right? And what did Joseph do? He contemplated, right? He's like, should I do this? I don't know. He ran, remember? He got out of the house. 
And then what did she do? She accused him of trying to rape him, rape her. And so the Egyptian officer did what any Egyptian officer would do that has that kind of power, threw Joseph in prison. Talk about a blemish on your record. You go from your, your, your brothers disowning you, sold into slavery, now falsely accused of rape, and now you get thrown into prison. But what does it tell us? Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So now the Lord is with Joseph in prison, a situation he clearly doesn't want to be in. But not only is he with Joseph, he shows him his love. Now, come on, can we be honest? Does it seem like a contradiction that God's showing you love as you're in prison for being falsely accused? This is why we have to let the Bible teach us what it looks like to follow God. Because God is with them right in it. He is right where he's supposed to be. Even though all the injustice is happening around him, God is showing him his love. You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're not just surrendering your heart to go to heaven. You're surrendering your entire being. You're saying, here you are, Lord. Use me. But rather than, rather than being pessimistic about a situation, Joseph chose to be optimistic. In Leader Track 101, that class we've encouraged y'all to attend, we learned that leaders choose optimism. And that's what Joseph did. We know he did. Rather than complain, rather than grumble, he, ended up, he chose optimism, served well. He ended up being in charge of the entire prison. He became the general manager of a prison as a prisoner. That's weird, isn't it? God just kept blessing him. God kept using him. He ended up interpreting some dreams from some people who were thrown in prison. He told them the right things. They forgot about him. He was left in prison for a couple more years, and then all of a sudden, the king had a terrible dream that he couldn't shake. You remember this? He had this terrible dream, and he needed somebody to interpret it, and they went and got Joseph. The cupbearer said, hey, I know this guy. He can do this for you. So they went and got Joseph. Pharaoh said, hey, can you interpret dreams? He said, no. Here's what he says. I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Would you still be talking about the name of God being in prison, being a slave after all those years? Come on, we've tried to forget about God for much less happening in our lives, haven't we? To walk away. But he says, hey, God's here. He chose optimism. He kept moving on. And so he did. He interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. He said, hey, your dream says you're going to have an abundance harvest for seven years, then seven years of famine. He says, so Pharaoh, you need to start storing up. Pharaoh liked Joseph's interpretation so much. He liked his leadership abilities. He put him in charge of the whole project. He went from slave to prisoner to the second in charge of Egypt. You see, what God wants to raise up, folks, nobody can hold back. Joseph had so many things terrible happen to him. But God was right there with them. It didn't matter that he was a felon. It didn't matter that he was a slave. God can promote anyone at any time he desires. So Joseph stayed faithful. And you remember the grain dried up, the story happened. I mean, the future happened just like Joseph told him it would. 
Their grain dried up. Joseph ended up running into his brothers again. You remember the story. And Joseph did what any brother would do. He played a whole bunch of tricks on them. Wouldn't you after they sold you into slavery? They found out it was Joseph. They'd forgotten what he'd look like. They found out with him. They were scared to death. They thought Joseph was going to wipe him out, kill him. But here's what he said. Here's what we're getting to. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What they intended for harm, what your co-workers intend for harm, what your family intends for harm, what those people, your neighbors or whoever, those people who are out to get you, those people who want to shut you down, what they mean for harm, God can use for what? Good. God's got it. And I think this is the story behind Paul communicating. Listen, just stay where you're at. God's got it. God is more powerful than your circumstances. And there's a good chance, folks, you and me, we have to understand. There's a good chance God's going to lead you to very difficult circumstances. He's going to lead you to him, lead you to them. But that's exactly where he wants you to be. He hasn't abandoned you, though it feels like it. He's right there with you, and in due time, he will raise you up for his good purposes and his will. But in the meantime, you and me, we must keep God's command. Joseph did. He stayed faithful. Like Paul said, sinfulness is not what God desires. If you find yourself in a sinful situation where Joseph could have easily fell in that trap, he had the opportunities he avoided that, and we need to avoid that. We have to pass these tests and choose to live a life of holiness. But also, we have to choose optimism, to be optimistic. It's hard when things are crashing all around you not to get a negative, not let the negativity of other people to bring you down. But we have to choose to be positive. And we have to choose to believe. Believing that Jesus Christ is enough is a choice. Believing that he's right there with you and will get you through is a choice. Believing that God is working on your behalf for his glory is a choice. We don't just believe the gospel once and we're done. We believe it daily. Every day we remind ourselves who Jesus is, what he has done for us. And as we saw through these stories, it doesn't mean obstacles won't happen and barriers won't come up. In fact, quite the opposite. But it does mean that through God and with God, he can use you. And those obstacles can be removed for his glory. But it also may mean he's developing something inside of you. Because God cares more about your character than your career. And so for me, as I look back, and what God did with me as a general manager, I wish I would have chose opt to be optimistic because I didn't. I wish I would have chose to believe that God was working through me in that. And although I was able to share my faith, although I was developing skills, I actually didn't think, I didn't think there was a point. And I missed out on so many things. And it's almost embarrassing because here's the truth. Anytime I've interviewed for a pastoral position or anytime I get a call saying, hey, are you interested in this? The one thing everybody points to is the fact that I was a general manager before I became a pastor. 
The one thing I thought was the most pointless is the one thing God has used over and over again. And it's embarrassing because I wish I could have said, I knew it. I chose to believe and it happened. But I was negative. I was pessimistic. But now I look back and say, it was so clear. Well, hindsight always is, isn't it? So in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your mess, choose to be positive. Choose to keep the faith. That God is going to do something in your situation. He's going to move. Because evidently, God is smarter than me and perhaps you. We just got to trust him. It just takes us being faithful and humble in those situations. Because if God can use somebody like me, folks, I can't imagine what he can do with somebody like you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, sometimes we just feel stuck. Sometimes we're unsure about what our next steps are, and we feel like where you've placed us isn't the correct place. We feel like the situation we're facing is more than we can bear. And Father, we confess what we're dealing with is more than we can bear. But we know it's not more than you can handle. So God, we lift these situations up to you. We commit our lives to you to being faithful even in the midst of uncertainty. We continue to trust in you day by day, choosing to believe, choosing to be optimistic about what you've called us to. Father, we believe you're going to do a great work in our lives. We believe you have plans and purposes for us. So, Father, give us the strength and boldness we need to live for you day by day as we continue to develop our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.